All right. While that's happening, my friend Cheryl is coming out while the guys are getting things cleaned up for us. Okay? And I told Cheryl I wrote some things down because there's... I get emotional when I talk about people I love, and I love a lot of people, but I really love this one right here. I don't know how long we've been... I'm not going to make you cry because I'll start to cry, and that will be bad for both of us. But here's what I know about this gal right here. This is some of the things that I wrote down. I know I'm in great company when I talk about what Cheryl means to me because I know she means a lot to many of you. And those of you that have not been blessed with knowing Cheryl yet, you're about to get to know why so many of us adore her and love her. Um, Here's what I love a lot about Cheryl. She's fun and she's witty, yet she's very thoughtful and she's very sensitive. She has a great balance with that. She's bright and she's scholarly. Yet she's relatable and she's real. She loves the Lord with her whole heart and soul and mind. And she shares that love with women who are blessed to sit under her teaching, either in a Bible study, a women's retreat, a Christmas tea, right? So lots of women get to sit under her teaching. And one of my favorite things that was said to me at the registration table throughout the last few weeks was this comment. I would sign up to go to the trash dump with Cheryl. (laughs) And I thought, I think I would do that too. Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, we're going to the trash dump, right? So we just love you, Cheryl. And we are so thankful that you're willing to come and bless us tonight. And we know that you're always responsible for God's word. And we know that you love us. And uh, we look forward to hearing what God has placed on your heart tonight. So thank you. Thank Thank you. you very much. So my friend Cheryl. $50 will get you the same introduction. (laughs) Thank you, Joan. And thank you all for being here tonight. And uh, it's such an honor to be invited to be here with you. And our topic tonight is every good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect gift. Do you struggle every Christmas with finding that good and perfect gift for the people that are on your Christmas gift-giving list? Do you struggle with what to give to that person who has everything? It's kind of like buying a gift for Solomon or for Queen of Sheba. They have everything. What do you buy for them? And do you have a person like that for whom it's difficult to know exactly what to give to them? For me, that person is my dear mother. Uh, She doesn't really need anything. She doesn't always want anything. And it's very difficult to buy her that good and perfect gift. And in addition to that, I struggle with how much to give or to spend on that gift to make sure that my expenditure measures up to how much my mother means to me. You know what that's like, right? You know, is a gift from Five Below or the dollar store uh, good enough? You know, would that express what that person means to you? So how do you give the good and perfect gift without breaking the bank or without getting all caught up into materialism and consumerism? Well, maybe you find yourself consulting Oprah's favorite gift guide. 
Now, I do that, but I look at the $25 and under uh, gift guide or the $20 and under because many of the things on her list are untouchable. Uh, but maybe you don't go to Oprah. Maybe you have a, an opportunity to Google best gifts to give in 2018. You know, you have a strategy. What's your strategy to know how to buy that good and perfect gift for that special pers person in your life? And this can be very stressful. At least I find that it's very stressful every year at this time trying to think of ideas. And maybe, just maybe, in your frustration, you might be tempted to slink over into the dark underbelly of regifting. <laughs> right? Have you done that? You know what I mean. You received a gift from somebody, and now it's your turn to give a gift, and you think, oh, wow, I have this gift that somebody gave me, and my mom will just love this. So I will regift it. And some of us kind of spiritualize it and say that you're sharing the joy or you're paying it forward. Well, have fun with that, but really what you're doing is you are re-gifting. And the comic here uh, explains that whatever the most durable paper you have to wrap this gift would be helpful because it's the fifth time uh, that it's been, it's been wrapped. Well, Steve Weir, Pastor Steve Weir, is here with us tonight. And since I knew he was here with us, and he doesn't know I'm going to do this, I thought I would share a story that involves regifting. Uh, this was before he was a pastor. And um, what happened was that Steve and his wife Sarah and I were in a small group together. And at, was, it, was our, it was our tradition at Christmas time to every year get together and just play games. We would play Christmas games. We would rotate whose house it was at. And then we would bring, each bring gifts, put them under the tree. But the gifts were for the reward of winning a game. And Steve, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, if my memory serves me correctly, he had won a game. And he picked a gift out from underneath my tree, and it was an audio CD. And it was this very one, uh, Jacob and Marley, or, or Marley and me, not Jacob and Marley, that's the, the Christmas tale, <laughs> Christmas carol, but uh, Marley and me. And now this is in my house, and this is under my tree that he chose this gift. And when he opened it up, I was mortified because I had given that gift as a personal gift to somebody else in our small group the previous year. <laughs> it wasn't even used. It wasn't like they listened to it and then passed it along. They never opened it. And there was my gift being re-gifted in my house under my tree and under my nose. So the moral of that story is re-gift responsibly. <laughs> it's not a good idea to re-gift under the person who's, who gave the gift in the first place. Well, I struggle, as I said, with giving the good and the perfect gift. And my mother is one of the people that I struggle the most with, as I've already said. And then about two years ago, I read this article that was entitled, Simplify Your Gift Giving in 2016. 
And now this may have been a, uh, an article that you have already seen or something that you saw on Pinterest, uh, but it was this article that suggested that when you gave gifts, give gifts in four one of four categories, or in each of these four categories. Give something that the person wants, give something that the person needs, give them something to wear, and give them something to read. Now, I know for some of us, Pinterest is like a second Bible uh, in our lives, and this is, is on Pinterest, but that's not where I read it. I read it in an, on an article, and again, maybe many of you were not as late coming to this four categories of gift giving as I was late coming to it. Maybe you've known about it for a long time. But I thought this is really a great idea. It was very helpful. And the article was really talking about how to do this for your children in particular so that you weren't being outrageous or over the top in your spending and that you could have a very generous, abundant, and yet modest kind of a Christmas together. And so I decided that I would put that uh, into practice with my mother. And so last year, and I did it with others uh, that I was giving gifts to, and I decided that I would start with giving something that she uh, wanted. And one of the things that she wanted is the she wanted the daily bread. And part of it was because she didn't trust me to bring home the free daily bread uh, that is here at the church. And so for a small donation, I was able to get the large print edition of the daily bread delivered right to her home so she always has it and doesn't have to uh, wait for me to get it. She loves this gift. She uses it every day. And every day, uh, she tells me, when I talk with her or I see her, she tells me what she read that particular day. So that was a good gift. I, I hit payday with that. Well, the second category uh, of gifts uh, required what she needed. And so uh, this is kind of an interesting need that she had. She wanted and needed, and sometimes your gifts will fall over into a couple of the categories, but she needed this magnified mirror that is lighted. My father and mother and I were on a road trip of sorts a few years back, and we stayed at a hotel, and in the hotel they had this magnifying mirror with the light, and my mother just loved it. And I didn't understand why she looked, lo loved it. When I looked into the mirror for the first time, <laughs> I gasped. I, I didn't know that my eyebrows were now growing on my chin. And I was just like, mom, like, what about this do you like so much? So she loved this. And so I, and she said, well, I need it because I can't see this. And I said, well, hopefully nobody else sees it either. But anyway, I bought her this gift and funny story. Uh, just the other night when I was over at my parents, uh, I was, uh, talking to them somehow or another. Oh, my father was talking about how he now needs to sit down and shave. He's 93, and uh, he needs to sit down while he shaves. And then he said, actually, I need your mother's lighted mirror uh, to shave. And so while I was over there, and I was at, they have his and her bathrooms, and I was up in her bathroom, and the light wasn't there. Well, here it was over at my father's bathroom because he, he now needs it. So maybe that's what he'll get uh, this Christmas. <laughs> The third category was that my mother wanted something uh, to wear. And this isn't the greatest thing that I could have gotten her to wear, but she loves these ankle socks. And so I bought her a stash of those. And then the fourth thing that I bought my mother was something to read. 
My mother loves devotionals. She loves, loves, loves Billy Graham. And so sitting on top of her uh, daily bread that she reads every day is also this devotional uh, from Billy Graham. And so here I had great success in buying my mother four different gifts at least in four different categories that were meaningful to her, they were significant, she enjoyed them, and I did it without being outrageous, if you know what I mean. When I was a little girl growing up in Levittown, <laughs> I lived next door to uh, my best friend, her name was Janet, and Janet, every year, had a Christmas tree that was the size of the national tree, and there are six people in her family, and every Christmas there were at least six piles of gifts that went, this is not an exaggeration, this is what their house looked like, with piles of gifts that just went up uh, to the midway of their tree, this huge tree. And it was like walking into a mountain of gifts. And I, I just thought, well, how did Santa Claus get everybody else done? He dumped all this stuff at their house. He must have been here a really long time. And it was hard sometimes not to covet, especially when our family tree looked like this. Um, it was hard uh, not to covet. And, uh, and that's no reflection on my parents. My parents gave my brothers and me a fabulous Christmas every year. They were modest, uh, but they gave us very meaningful gifts, and they did a great job. But I don't know what was really going on over at Janet's house, but uh, every year it was like that. But, you know, it reminds me of the extent that each of us, you and I, go through to buy that good and perfect gift for our kids or for our special loved one. And I don't know if I'm aging myself here, but remember the days of the Cabbage Patch Dolls? I bet there's many a woman in this audience tonight who stood in a line to get that gift because their child wanted it so badly. And talk about the dark underbelly of regifting. It's a darker underbelly when you're standing in line on Black Friday because people lose their salvation in that line. <laughs> they poke, they grab, they walk over people, they shove. Uh, they don't care as long as they get a hold of that gift that they so want to give to their child. But even in the dark underbelly of that, there's something very good about why we stand in those lines. You know why we stand in those lines? We do so because we love our children. And we want to bestow upon them the things that they want because we so love them. Well, you know, when we compare our gift giving to our Heavenly Father's generosity, we really pale in comparison. But he writes this in Matthew 7. And verse 11 in particular is what's on the screen. But if I can back up a little bit, he writes, the Lord writes in his word, or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, I'm not saying this, the Lord's telling you that you're evil, know how to give good <laughs> gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? It's fabulous. It's a fabulous verse of scripture because it illustrates the giving nature of God. And when we compare his generosity with our evil nature, it really does stark make a stark contrast between our giving 
from a finite perspective and the giving of a holy creator God. Yet even in our wickedness, the Lord is saying that we know how to give good and perfect gifts. We know how to give appropriately. If our children need bread for nourishment, we're going to give them bread, and we know not to give them stones. So even in our wickedness, we know that. We also know how to not give inappropriately. We don't give our children a serpent or something harmful when what they need is something helpful. We don't give them something harmful like a serpent in place of something helpful like a fish. So even in our wickedness, we know how to do this. But how much more will our Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him for those good things? It's a beautiful picture. And God doesn't need a gift-giving guide. He doesn't need to read articles. He doesn't need to consult Pinterest. He knows how to give bread, which is good. He knows how to give good and perfect gifts to us. And he wants to give us even more than we ask for. I don't know if many of you remember the account of Solomon. And I'm going to read part of it because it's worth reading rather than me paraphrasing it. But Solomon was approached by God. In 2 Chronicles 1, if you want to write that address down, you can. 2 Chronicles 1 Uh, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, what is, ask for whatever you want. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now imagine for a moment if God were asking you that question. I think I'd mess it up. Like Solomon asked for wisdom, but it was almost like he had wisdom already and knowing to ask for wisdom. Like I might have asked for a new computer or some material possession or some kind of wealth. But Solomon answered God, and he says this to God, You, God, have shown great kindness to David, my father, and you have made me king in my father's place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust on the earth. That's a lot of people. That's a huge kingdom. Give me wisdom, Solomon asks, that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? Wow, what a beautiful request that Solomon made of the Lord. And then God said to Solomon, and this again shows the generous nature of our Heavenly Father, God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, You have not asked for possessions. You have not asked for honor. You have not asked for the death of your enemies. And since you have not asked for a long life, but rather you have asked for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And then the Lord says, And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who has ever before you ever had and none after you will ever have. Wow. Wow. And that reminds me of one of my favorite verses of Scripture, Ephesians 3.20, 
which talks about the Lord being able to do far more abundantly all, than all we could ask or think. And I like to read this verse backwards in this way. God is able to do what we ask, or excuse me, what we think backwards. God is able to do what we ask or think. God is able to do all that we ask or think. Keep going. God is able to do above all that we ask or think. He's able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Now, for you grammarians out there, there's a lot of adverb action going on there. An adverb modifying an adverb, exceedingly abundantly above, a preposition. Wow. And so I can't help but think of this abundance when I think of God and how he wants to give us more. He wants to give us good and perfect things, but he also wants to give us more than we ask for. And sometimes we ask for things and we don't realize we're asking for serpents. And instead of us knowing that we're asking for the wrong thing, our Heavenly Father, like a loving parent, will mercifully spare us that serpent and not give to us what is bad for us, but rather he'll give to us what is good for us. And he'll do so abundantly. You could probably think of a lot of examples in your own life as to when maybe you asked God for a serpent and you didn't realize at the time that you were doing that, but in retrospect, you realized that God spared you. And I think of one example, and it's not necessarily the most poignant example in my life, but it was one that uh, helped me get, get to understand the call of God's life, call of God on my life. And I think back to a time when I was applying for graduate school, for graduate work. I was trying to get into a prestigious university for my graduate work. And it was in the field of psychology and not in education. And I remember my professors telling me, if you get to the interview, Cheryl, you're in. You just have to get, apply, get to that interview, and we tell you, we'll tell you, guarantee it. You get to that interview, you're in. So I applied to this prestigious university. I got to the interview, and I thought, well, maybe this is a good thing. And then I got invited to a second interview, which I thought, well, this is even greater. And then I got rejected. So my professor said, I, that's, that's weird. If you get to the interview, you're in. So do it again. I did it again, got to the interview, got to the second interview, got my second rejection letter. I didn't get in. And in the moment, I didn't realize that I was asking for a serpent, but it was the Lord's way of steering my life because I would have gone to that particular university and gotten a degree in something that was not what God wanted me to do. He wanted me in Christian education, and that's where I ended up because instead of God giving me a serpent, he gave me a fish. So you can think of examples in your life that maybe you were disappointed when God said no to something you specifically asked to, but he gave you something better. And sometimes we don't realize that until in, retro in retrospect. Well, look at this abundance on the highway. Now wait for this. So a month ago, I was driving to speak at a Christian educators conference, and I was on the turnpike, and up ahead on the right lane, I see something fascinating. 
And so I got a little closer. And, uh, you know, and I just thought, wow, what is that thing? And then I got really close. And I, yes, I was taking pictures while I was driving. And, uh, but look at this gift. Like, I wanted to follow this car. And, but I had to get to this car. But I wanted to follow it and see who got it and what was inside of it. Or I wanted to try to drive up alongside of the guy and try to yell across the highway at 70 miles an hour, what's in the box? What's in the box? But is that a fun-looking gift? You know, I, I can't imagine. Uh, you know, we could play a guessing game and then give a re-gifted reward if you guess right. But, you know, what's inside that box? It just, it just really uh, amazed me. But it's abundance on the human level, and it doesn't even approximate the abundance that our Heavenly Father can give to us. And he gives us every good and perfect gift. And we know this. We know this from Scripture. We know this from James chapter 1, verse 17, that every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. It is from the celestial heavens that our gifts come. First Corinthians tells us, what do we have that we have not received from God? What skill, what talent, what gifts, what wealth, what homes, what shelter, what food, what do you have that didn't come from the good Lord above? So from, our, from the celestial heavens, our gifts come from a good and a perfect God who never, ever varies. His goodness remains constant. We don't have to worry about God waking up in a bad mood. And we don't have to worry that he is going to withhold something from us because of he's in a mood about us. He's, he's constant, and his goodness remains constant. And I was thinking that just out of curiosity, what if God were to follow that Pinterest guide or the simplified gift-giving guide to the, to the year 2016? What if he followed it? What would it look like? What would God give to us that we need, that we could wear, that we might possibly want, and that we could read? So I just want to explore that with you in the next couple of minutes and talk about God, who is the perfect gift giver. What would be the something I need, the something I wear, the something I want, and the something to read that God would give to me? Well, I'm going to start with what we need. I think if God were playing this game or filling out these four categories, he would first give us something we need. He would give us the cross. I don't know if the stockings at your table all have the same verse of scripture, but mine has John 3.16. Are they all the same? And I think that's what God would give us that we need. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ took on our sins, the sins that we should be paying for. Our heavenly father sacrificed his son so that we do not have to pay the wages of sin but that Jesus Christ did that for us. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Because God made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to know sin on our behalf, because God sacrificed his son for you and for me, as a result of this, God gives us something to wear. He gives us 
robes of righteousness so that our sins, though they be as scarlet, are now white as snow. And I don't know if you can see the monograms on the robes that are up there, but one of the monograms is S, and my first initial is S. Uh, and then the other one is MG. My mother's name is Gloria, and my friends often call her Miss Glorious. So MG and S are up there wearing robes of righteousness. Here's what's interesting about the monogram. My name is written down in glory and also in God's book of remembrances. He'll never forget me. He'll never forget me. And we read about the book of remembrances in the Italian book of the Bible, Malachi. Okay, Malachi 3.16. Uh, we read about God's book of remembrances. Well, God also gives us things that we want. And I uh, think of the psalm that tells us, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I think back as a child, maybe you remember this too, when we had the um, Sears catalog, it's right there, when we had the Sears catalog. I loved that catalog every Christmas. And as a little kid, I would pour over that catalog for hours, and I would dog-ear the pages that had the gifts that I wanted, so desperately wanted, or thought I wanted, right? A little kid just being very uh, greedy about what I wanted for Christmas. But I loved that catalog, and it was our Christmas wish book. And God is greater than the Sears catalog, can fulfill our every desire far greater than we could ever imagine. And finally, I think that God would give us something to read. And I think you could, could guess before I got here that he would have given us his word. And he does. He gives us his inspired word. He gives us the Bible. Well, wow. That's a pretty impressive completion of the gift-giving guide. God kind of wrapped up in one gift for all mankind and it accomplished all four categories. He gave us his son, who we need, who we want, even though we don't always realize we do, but we have a vacuum in our hearts that is the shape of Jesus. He gave us something to wear, robes of righteousness, and he gives us something to read, his word of truth, which is also his son. He gives salvation. He gives his word. He gives us the desires of our heart. He gives us our daily bread. He gives every good and perfect gift. Now here's what I love. I love this psalm, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Psalm 84, 11. And we read here that God will not withhold any good thing from those who love him and walk uprightly. You and I never have to worry about lining ourselves up with God on his gift-giving day. We don't have to position ourselves and make sure that we are in the line of fire when he's tossing out the gifts to make sure that we are in the right spot to catch them. Because God will withhold no good thing from those who love him and walk uprightly. I think you might know what I mean if I talk about Santa a little bit. 
you know how Santa Claus, he still does this. He just came around my neighborhood the other day and I ran to the door. I heard the fire sirens going off. I knew it wasn't an emergency. I knew it was Santa was coming to town. And uh, like a little kid, I ran outside and I positioned myself so I could get a good picture of Santa and I could line up for the lollipops or whatever candy he was throwing out. And in case he was throwing out an iPad, I wanted to be there. <laughs> and. Uh, and you know how that is. When Santa comes to town on the fire truck and all the little kids line up and their parents are say, pushing them gently, go get a little closer, go over here, go to the left, go to the right. You gotta get over there. If not, you're not gonna get the lollipops. You're not gonna get the candy. And we line ourselves up to receive the gifts that Santa is throwing out. But we don't have to do that with our Heavenly Father. Doesn't matter where we are in the lineup. He will withhold no good thing from those who love him and walk uprightly. And you know, here's what's interesting. God wants us to enjoy the gifts that he gives to us. Some of us feel guilty about enjoying the gifts. We think it's self-indulgent. And some Christians don't fully realize that God wants us to enjoy the gifts that he gives to us. Several times in Ecclesiastes, the book of wisdom, Solomon reminds us that God wants us to eat drink and be merry, and not because tomorrow you die. He doesn't say that. <laughs> but he says that these gifts are approved by God and that we are to enjoy them and we are to just soak up the goodness of what God has given to us. But, you know, we see this also in the New Testament. We don't just read about God wanting us to enjoy our gifts, his gifts, in the Old Testament, but we read about this in, in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy 6.17, it reads, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for what? for our enjoyment. God wants us to enjoy the good gifts that he gives to us. And then I think we need to be reminded, I'll just put in a commercial for Hallmark thank you cards. I think we need to be reminded that don't forget to say thank you. Don't forget to say thank you to the friends and loved ones who give you gifts, but to our Heavenly Father, that we need to be reminded that we are to give thanks. 2 Corinthians 9.15 says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It's hard to express the gifts that God gives to us. Well, whether you are following a gift-giving guide or not, <clears throat> why not at least think about the things that you really need this year? and the things that you really want this year. What do you need? What do you want? And try to think beyond material things. Don't just think of the newest electronic gadget or the best holiday gift of 2018. Think beyond that. I remember reading about a family one time who gave their kids 15 gifts for Christmas. So here's this family, and that's what the fraction is up there. The 15 uh, is the amount of gifts that all the kids in the family got. And a year after Christmas was over, the next year, the mom and dad asked their children, what can you remember about the 15 gifts? 
And when they asked their kids to say what they remembered, they could only recall on average two of the 15 gifts that their parents had given to them. Two fifteenths of the abundance. Then the parents said to them, okay, well, we also went on vacation last year. What do you remember about vacation? And there was no end to what they said they remembered about their vacation. There was no end. And it makes me think, this story that I read, that time together in relationship with one another and with God is more impacting than opening up gifts. So how's your relationship with God going? Are there things from him that you need and you're not asking him about them? Are there things that you want and you're not talking to him about those? Are you wearing some unattractive characteristics that you really need to shed? Are you reading his word and are you spending time with him? Do you even have a relationship with God? You know, some people, unfortunately, don't want to let God into their lives because they fear that God will make them give up anything that is fun. In other words, they think to become a Christian is the same as saying, well, the party's over, and that to be spiritual is to be miserable. Some people believe that. Well, before I conclude tonight, I want to end with the good news of the gospel and the good and perfect gifts that come from God. And I want to tell you my rendition of the power of God's gift through mostly chocolate. <laughs> now, I'm not being disrespectful to the gospel by talking about candy and chocolate. I'm doing this because I think it's a helpful reminder to us that when we open up a candy bar that we frequently do, we might be then caused to think about the Lord and the gospel message that he has. So no disrespect at all is meant here. I love God's word. I love that he saved me. I love his son. I love the things that are holy. And so uh, bear with me as I share with you the gospel according to chocolate. So Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Okay, here we go. And there were, in the same country, shepherds, and those candy canes should be walking around like shepherds, but they're not, but imagine it. And there were, in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, busily keeping watch over the flock during what I believe must have been a crunch time of the year. And so the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid, and the angel said, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a life saver, savior, which is Christ the Lord. And so the shepherds went in haste to find Mary and Joseph and the baby who was from the lineage of Ruth lying <laughs> in a manger. 
For some time after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary stayed with him in Bethlehem, and another visit was made to Jesus by men from a land far away. In a country east of Judea were living some very wise musketeer-like men who studied the stars. Now, Scripture doesn't say there were three of them, but for the sake of candy, we'll talk about the three wise musketeer-like men. And these men studied the stars. And one night they said, look. <laughs> right? Look. Up in the, Milky, in the Milky Way, a star perhaps near Mars. <laughs> and in some way, they learned that the coming of this star meant that a king was soon to be born in the land of Judea. And so they went to the land of Judea to see this newborn king. The news of their coming was sent to Herod the king, who was a wicked, cruel, and somewhat nutrageous kind of king. <laughs> and he made up his mind to kill this new king, for he feared he might lose his own kingdom. So he told the wise men to bring back the news as to where this new baby was born. But God told the wise men through a dream not to go back to Herod, but to return home another way. So Jesus' life was spared. And he grew up in the city of Nazareth where he impressed the scholars of the day because he was such a smarty. <laughs> but as an adult, Jesus was betrayed for a few coins and as a result, he walked the rocky road to Calvary where he was crucified and died for the sins of all mankind. But here's the good news. Three days later, hang with me, he hath reason. <laughs> it's a stretch, but they're two of my favorite candies. Yeah, it's a good... <laughs> so Jesus died on the cross for the sins of all mankind and he rose again from the dead for Big Mo for Mike and Ike and for you and for me you know there is no Mr. Goodbar among mankind no, not Uno, because every one of us has said things, done things, and thought things that are wrong, and in essence, we have sinned. And as a result of that sin, we deserve eternal separation from God. So why not now and not later taste and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? It will take you less than five minutes to believe in the rock of our salvation. You cannot pay one piece of penny candy to gain entrance, entrance into heaven because Jesus paid, aid, paid it all. And if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the angels will sing a symphony in heaven and you will have life that's good and plenty because Jesus came to give us life abundantly. And you will gain heaven as your eternal ho home where I can promise you from scripture that you will walk on streets of gold far grander than Fifth Avenue. And that is for certain. This is not just a sweet tooth story. It is the sweet truth. Well, it is the sweet truth 
that the good and perfect gift from, from above is God's only begotten son. Have you received it? Have you received that gift? And what will you do with all the gifts that you do receive this Christmas day? You'll enjoy them, right? You'll spend time with them. Remember how it was on Christmas Day when we were little? We didn't want to go to Grandma's house. We also didn't want to miss out on her gifts, so we wanted her to come to our house, but we didn't want to go to her house because we didn't want to leave the tree. We didn't want to leave the gifts that we were given. We wanted to spend time with them and to enjoy them. You know, going back to my best friend Janet, who had the national tree in her house, they were still opening gifts into the day after Christmas. Uh, but the day after Christmas, all of the friends in the neighborhood were invited to go to her house to see what she got and to enjoy her gifts and to play with them along with her. We wanted to enjoy the gifts. So if you have not already received the free present from God of his only begotten son, why not tonight? Why not do it tonight? then you can enjoy the greatest privilege of being in his presence forevermore. May you, this Christmas, receive something that you want, something to wear and something to read, but most of all, may you receive the one thing you most need. God bless you, and Merry Christmas. <clears throat>